0: Welcome to the show today, guys. We have another exciting Thursday interview for you. Uh, Dr. Christina Francis is the chairman of the board for the American Association of Pro Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists, a group uh, that we refer to as APLOG and that we have discussed with you before. Uh, But we haven't had one of their um, uh, team members on yet. And so I think this, this interview will particularly bless and um, um, pump you up, especially as the abortion pill is being pushed by the abortion industry all across the country. Mail order telemedicine, this is what we call mail order murder, as the Supreme Court began hearing arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, as Roe versus Wade looks like it may be overturned. It's wonderful to have doctors and um, obstet- obstetricians and gynecologists on. Um, who actually defend real medicine, who actually believe that the Hippocratic Oath is something to be honored and not crapped on. Um, APLOG encourages and equips medical practitioners to provide an evidence-based rationale for defending the lives of both the pregnant mother and her unborn child, who are both patients because they're both human beings. And Dr. Christina Francis has worked tirelessly on behalf of women and children in Romania, Burma, Kenya. Israel, and now back here in America, defending life, defending the least of these at a propitious moment in this country's history and for the pro-life movement. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Dr. Francis, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you, Seth. It's great to be with you.
0: It's been a long time coming. We finally met in person at the live action gala a few months back. And uh, we had uh, probably too many mutual friends to count. Um, and I knew, I knew that uh, we were past due to finally have you on. Um, but I always like my, my listeners and myself to just get to know um, guests a little bit better. Because, you know, we're being labeled domestic terrorists right now by the attorney general. Um, if we decided to tell our school board that um, they shouldn't be teaching our children Planned Parenthood's inspired sex ed, which was funded by Hugh Hefner. Um, If you're pro-life, MSNBC last week compared you to segregationists um, and banning abortion as the equivalent of bans on interracial marriage. Um, In short, uh, when you're pro-life and you actually contend courageously in the public square, it doesn't go well for you. And so I always love to know the why behind people's hearts who contend for the unborn. Uh, in such a thankless position, um, and as our country is more and more divided than ever before. Uh, you're brilliant, you're an expert in your field, um, you're well-seasoned and practiced. Um, but before we get into all of that, what's your background and story? Uh, how did you become a doctor? How did God call you to that? Um, and then when did the plight of the unborn get laid on your heart?
1: Yeah, you know, it's isn't it so interesting how our lives Oftentimes, we'll take a completely different path than we ever, in a million years, would have imagined. And, and um, you know, as a Christian, I I can see now, looking back um, on my four plus decades of existence, that um, that the Lord really was directing um, my path from the beginning. Even though, as I was going through it, as I think probably for many of your listeners, I wouldn't have possibly imagined that this is where it would have led me. But, um, you know, I think that my story really starts with where I grew up. Um, because it, it really influenced a lot of um, my perspective on life and, and what we should do as believers. and so I grew up in an in inner city ministry actually. it was a, an old uh, convent actually that took yeah. up about uh, two city blocks that the church that I grew up in decided to purchase uh, because the city was going to tear it down. The nuns who lived there had moved out and it was a large building and you know the city was looking at tearing it down and our ch- uh, man in our church, Um, didn't want this beautiful historic building Mm. to be torn down. And so he bought it and gave it to the church and said, you know, either you can sell it um, or you could turn it into an inner city ministry because it really sat right on the edge of of the inner city in the town where I grew up. And so um, so our church decided to do just that. And my parents decided to move in and be the caretakers as it it was was. uh, renovated and then um, helped run. My mom became the executive director and helped run Many of their ministries uh, for about 20 years, actually. So, um, so that's where I grew right. up. I spent my Thanksgivings um, working side by side with many other volunteers serving hot meals in uh, in the Life Center, which is what it was called, um, to people who didn't have any other place to be on Thanksgiving. And um, you know, throughout the year, just saw my mom. And my dad both pour their hearts into um, serving the Lord through serving others. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that started to shape me even as a young child into just this idea of, you know, part of our purpose here on earth is to serve others. And, um, and so then as that kind of began to take shape in, in high school and in college, I started to do mission trips and uh, fell in love with that aspect of service, with living mm. in another culture, experiencing God in another culture and experiencing life in another culture. And, um, and it was during one of those mission trips, actually my first time in Romania, Um, I was living in an orphanage and working with the children there. We had about 150 kids at that orphanage that we were working with. And, um, it was during that time, that trip that I, that I felt like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And, um, and I had already decided on medicine, um, somewhat randomly, seemingly randomly. I'm sure that it wasn't now random, but um, you know just because I enjoyed science and I enjoyed serving people and it seemed to be a good way to combine those two loves. And so yeah. um, and so that's you know what I thought that I was going to do with the rest of my life was I was going to be a medical missionary. And so that's really how I started orienting um, my training and um, spent a year living in Romania in between undergraduate and medical school. And then all through medical school, that really was my focus is what can I do? What can I learn so that I can be the best medical missionary that I can be? And, and, um, and so that's actually what led me to OB. So I, it, was not really near the top of my list when I started medical school I thought I would probably do something very general like family medicine you know so that I could take care of as many people as possible and um and I was in my second year of medical school and I was rotating with a family medicine physician and he got a phone call that one of his patients was in labor at the hospital and so he said all right you know let's go to the hospital and so it was going to be my first time seeing a delivery and um, I didn't get to scrub in with him for whatever reason that day, uh, but I just was in the room as this woman delivered her baby. And, you know, I'd never met this woman before, and um, but I just stood back and was just amazed at the miracle of childbirth, you know? Um, I know you have children, you've experienced that, you know, as a, as a husband and a father, and... Um, I just started crying because I thought it was one of the most beautiful things that I'd ever seen. And this yeah. older seasoned labor and delivery nurse who I have wished so many times I could go back and find her. And um, But she came up behind me and she whispered in my ear and she said, oh, honey, if this makes you cry, you need to do this for a living. And <laughs> you know, and I just thought I, I love telling that story because one, it, it really changed kind of the trajectory of my life at that point, but um, but also just to encourage people that you know if if you feel that you should say something like that to someone. You should say it, you know, if, if that's, that's if that. you observe something like that because you don't know what sort of impact that might have on somebody's life. And so, um, yeah, so that's what got me started thinking about OB and and um, just loved being able to be a part of women and families' lives um, during typically what is a very happy time in their life. Um, you know, the OB specialty is normally very happy. Um, I counted a blessing to be able to do what I do when it's sad. It's really, really sad. And, um, and it's a very hard specialty when it's sad, but that in and of itself is its own unique blessing. I think as a physician to be able to walk with a patient and her family, um, through those very difficult times and just that, that sort of bond that you develop even, even during those tragic times. So, um, so that's what led me to OB and, Uh, started spending time overseas, you know, more time overseas, and then um, after residency went to Kenya uh, with Samaritan's Purse with their post-residency program. Yeah, and spent a total of three years in Kenya. Um, But it was during that three-year time span, I actually came back to the States uh, for a time to finish my board certification and all of these sort of hoops that you have to jump through um, to be a fully board-certified OB. So came back to the States to do that. And it was while I was in the States um, that a good friend of mine was activated actually partially by one of our very dear mutual friends, Scott Klusendorf, um, and another yeah, mutual yeah, yeah. friend, Seth Dreyer. Um, okay. both, were, both were instrumental in activating her in the pro-life movement. And um, so she had started listening to some of Scott's uh, talks and read his okay. book, Case of Life, and... Um, she called me and she said, Christina, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she said, well, you're a woman and you're an OBGYN and you're a Christian and you say that you're pro-life, but I don't think that you're doing enough about it. I think that you could be doing more. And Like, okay. <laughs> and I, you know, yet another moment where the Lord used somebody to speak truth into my life. And um, even though I think in that moment I wasn't necessarily exactly ready to hear that one, but um, right. so. But, you know, but it really, she said, I, I just I just listened to this guy. His name is Scott Klusendorf. He explained the pro-life position in yeah. a way I've heard before. And I, it, I at least want you to listen to it. And, oh, by the way, I'm hosting um, Seth Dreyer in my house. And so I want you to come and listen to his talk, too. And then, you wow. know, and just listen to them and then see what you think. And so... Um, so she sent me a CD of one of Scott's talks and and it was life changing for me. You know, it was the first time I had grown up in a pro-life home and actually by this point in my life, now my mom had left that inner city ministry where I grew up and she's now working for a right to life chapter, a large right to life yeah, chapter in, in Southwestern Indiana. And, you know, so I had grown up pro-life. And if you would have asked me, I'd say, yeah, I'm pro-life. If you'd asked me why, I could have said, well, you know, because it's a human being and we don't end the lives of innocent human beings. You know, I knew that aspect of it. But if someone would have really pushed me on the hard cases or, um, you know, to really explain why it is that the pro-life position makes sense, especially apart from religion and um, using the Bible, I really would have floundered and I wouldn't have been able to. That position, and so I mean, you know, having worked with Scott extensively, um, you know, he just explained it in a way that I had never heard explained before, and it really was that appeal to logic and reason that really drew me in, and um, and I thought, she's right, you know. I mean, how better positioned could I be? And this is not patting myself on the back at all. This is just totally the Lord that you know put me in this position. But how better position could I be as an OBGYN and a woman you
0: know, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: to defend the pro-life position? And so um, anyways, long story short, through a lot of um, arguing with God, which if any of your listeners have been in a position where they've had to make a major life change, they probably understand that. But a lot of sort of um, arguing back and forth with God, because I knew I knew what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was going to live in yeah. Africa for the rest of my life. And, you know, and um, anyways, I ended up back here in the States and, and um, really under um, Scott's mentorship and then the mentorship of Mike Spencer as well. And yeah. um, you know, really just kind of grew my chops in pro-life apologetics first and then was introduced um, to APLOG. And and, uh, yeah, so that's how I got where I am today.
0: That's amazing. Um, You know, they always say that if you're um, pro-life, you must not care about quality of life outside the womb. You're just a pro-birther. You're not doing anything about these children after they're born. And yet uh, you've been doing that all across the world, of course. Um, And I want to ask you, Um, specifically about the American College of uh, Obstetricians and Gynecologists, because I believe that they're one of the most fraudulent organizations in the country. Because um, I've long said that ACOG is for obstetrics, like the abortion industry is for women, (laughs) or like Uh uh, BLM Incorporated is for the black family. I mean, these institutions and titles are meaningless. I mean, they mean nothing at all. Like, the Black Lives Matter hates the nuclear family. They're against school choice. They're for abortion. And they want to subsidize fatherlessness in the homes. And the same thing's true, in my opinion, at least, of the American College of of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And we did this episode, you guys, if you haven't heard it, with Dr. Brent Bowles, go back, um, about how Elena Kagan, before she was a Supreme Court justice, colluded Um, with ACOG to change their definition of partial birth abortions from a never necessary procedure to save the life of the mother to a sometimes necessary procedure to save the life of the mother so that President Bill Clinton could have the science loosely defined Uh on his side when he vetoed the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act by saying, well, look, I mean, we don't want to unnecessarily sentence women to death. And ACOG, the science, says that sometimes it's necessary to save women's lives. Um, And so, you know, when you talk about obstetrics, about delivery of a child, caring for the child, but then you defend murdering the child as long as they're defined as unwanted by their parents, um, Uh I say that you're a fraudulent organization. Uh, So at least that's my opinion on ACOG. I'm not saying that everything that comes out of them is therefore, you know, not based in facts or science, um, but it seems quite ridiculous to me. So what, in your opinion, is wrong with ACOG? Like, how deep does this rock go? um mm-hmm. and how did these uh, these puzzle pieces all play together in terms of people launching APlog as this you know uh, contrast to ACog right. uh, help us uh, sort of understand the moving parts in the history of how all this happened
1: yeah absolutely well i mean you're exactly right in that ACog has become an abortion advocacy organization masquerading as a scientific and a professional medical organization so they claim yeah. to represent more than 60,000 women's healthcare providers across the country and yet they clearly do not represent their membership on this issue. And you know, and I do think it's important it, it, to give them it, you know even giving them the benefit of the doubt on other issues they provide Great um, clinical guidance um, for you know women's healthcare practitioners, but when it comes specifically to the issue of abortion, they are purely a political advocacy organization, not a medical organization, and not an organization that cares about the health of their patients. And it has become exceedingly clear, more and more so in the last um, decade or so. But as you point out, it goes way back. So, you know, just a really quick history lesson on ACOG because it is important to where APLOG came from. Uh, When they started out as an organization in the mid-1950s, they actually held to the Hippocratic view on abortion, which is that it should not be a part of medicine. Um, The only quote-unquote abortions that they they endorsed or supported were what they termed therapeutic abortions. But what you or I would say is actually not an abortion. That would be if a woman's life is in, in jeopardy and you have to save her life and you have to separate her and the baby, obviously your intent is not to kill that developing child, but your intent is to save her life, um, then sometimes that, unfortunately, is a decision that we as OBGYNs have to make, and I've had to make that, and it's a heartbreaking decision and horrible to have to horrible to have to have do and, and recommend to a patient. But that was the only scenario that they acknowledged, and they called it, like I said, a therapeutic abortion, that that would be necessary. Um, but otherwise, they acknowledged abortion as a social fix. Um, or a fix for a social issue, not something that has any place in medicine, actually. So they actually were founded on principles that are consistent with with I's views on this issue. Um, however, starting about in the mid-1960s, um, they began a top-down push um, from the leadership that coincided with the cultural changes that were going on at the time, you know, the sexual revolution and and this push in many states to legalize abortion, which we know, you know, some states did. Prior to Roe. And so ACOG really joined this cultural bandwagon and started this top down push from the administration without input uh, from their members to normalize abortion, to start changing definitions. Um, So that's something that started way back in the 1960s and 1970s with ACOG. So Yeah. yeah, exactly. So they were actually the ones that offered the health definition for the Dovey Bolton case, um, where health That's was right. basically all-encompassing. You know, it it encompassed a woman's mental health, her social health, her familial health, you know, all this. Familial, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, exactly. Basically gave, you know, carte blanche for abortion through all nine months of pregnancy if you could come up with a health reason, which was basically anything. Um, So ACOG was instrumental in developing that language and recommending that language to the crafters of those bills. They also submitted pro-abortion amicus briefs in the Doe and Roe cases. And so... Um, As this is happening, as this push is happening, members within ACOG see that this is happening and don't agree with it, and um, they're not able to stop ACOG from doing it, but what they did in 1973, not coincidentally, is they formed a pro-life special interest group within ACOG, and that was the birth of APLOG, actually. So we started out as a special interest group within ACOG, yeah, all the way back to 1973. So we quickly became this largest special interest group within ACOG and remained that way um, at about 2,000 people, which far exceeded any of the other special interest groups uh, until ACOG conveniently dissolved all special interest groups in
0: 2013.
1: Um, (laughs) And that's... (laughs) that's when APLOG then was birthed as its own organization, which actually was a blessing to us because then we no longer had to abide by ACOG guidelines and ethical standards and things like that. So, so that's where APLOG was birthed out of, you know, it was birthed from members within ACOG who said, this has no place in the practice of OBGYN. And we want to stand up for our patients. We want to stand up for the practice of, um, Hippocratic pro-life medicine. And, you know, unfortunately since then, um, they really have just continued this no holds bar push for um, no abortion restrictions. ACOG has never supported a single abortion restriction ever. Even very common sense ones that you or I would say don't go nearly far enough, you know, but even just common sense ones like the June medical case last year, you know, which was calling for admitting privileges. Even though they have a document when that's not talking about abortion that says that we know that direct patient handoff from physician to physician, minimizes um, patient medical errors and improves patient outcomes. Even though they have that document, then out of the other side of their mouth, then they said, oh, no, you know, asking an abortion provider to either have admitting privileges or a direct relationship with someone who will admit their patient who has complications, that's too burdensome. There's no medical basis for that, um, you know, and that's just one so let's, example let's of so provide many. Some,
0: some, some clarity to the June Medical for our listeners who don't know what we're referring to, because yeah. I think that, I, that this actually is one of those... Um, magic bullets that prove, it's a smoking gun, it proves that not only does ACOG not care about the pre-born, that's kind of, duh, self-evident, but they're also just as willing as the abortion industry is, Dr. Francis, to sacrifice the women they say they exist to serve, to sacrifice those women on the altar of what I call abortion access. Uh, Through all nine months of pregnancy, as easy to get as possible, so the June medical uh, decision, which the Supreme Court let us down on, uh, uh-huh. essentially said, and this was Louisiana, that right. um, that uh, abortion doctors had to have admitting privileges uh, at a local hospital. Uh, essentially they had to meet all of the same medical requirements as any other ambulatory surgical center in the state of Louisiana because they claim abortion is healthcare and surgery. Well, if it's healthcare and it's surgery, why shouldn't it be beholden to all of the other health standards and surgical standards um, in in the healthcare industry. So so that's uh, I set it up now. Why don't you d- describe that a little bit more? Um, and, and and ACOG's opposition to that bill, the abortion industry's opposition to that bill, and what that really tells us about their more sinister motives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, this was a common sense bill. It was a bill that was authored by um, a Democratic state legislator actually, and was passed it's with bipartisan support. Yeah, because it was so common sense. And it really, it was only bringing abortion providers up to the standard of everybody else in the state. So different from like the Hellerstedt case out of Texas where it was putting this new requirement on abortion providers in Louisiana, every other physician who does outpatient surgeries has to have admitting privileges because we know if you have a patient, especially if you have a pregnant woman who's bleeding from her, her uterus that has an extremely higher um, volume of blood going to it than a non-pregnant uterus does, time is of the essence. If she's hemorrhaging, if you've perforated her uterus. And so if you as the physician can take her directly from your ambulatory surgery center, to the hospital and take care of her, you knock out a huge portion of time that is spent in transferring care and things like that. Plus, you know what happened because you're the one that did it to her. So, um, so that's what this thats what this uh, law in Louisiana was calling for. And again, it passed with bipartisan support. Of course, the abortion industry sued over it as they always do. Um, and part of the reason they sued was because they said that obtaining and admitting privileges was too burdensome. Well, if you have a qualified physician, obtaining admitting privileges is not burdensome. I can tell you that because I have to reaffirm my admitting privileges every single year and it is not difficult to do when you are applying for admitting <laughs> privileges for something that you are qualified to do. That's right, that's the right. reason it was burdensome for the abortion providers in Louisiana is because they had radiologists and ophthalmologists doing their surgical abortions. I can tell you as an OBGYN, as someone who instruments uteruses, a radiologist and an ophthalmologist have no business instrumenting pregnant uteruses, yeah. whether they're doing abortions or not. And so that's why they couldn't obtain admitting privileges, because no hospital in their right mind is going to give a radiologist admitting privileges to manage surgical abortion complications. Why
0: is it so hard for your abortionist to get admitting privileges in Louisiana, huh? Maybe because they suck. And not only do they suck because they're killing babies, but they also suck at being good at killing babies. So they they double suck. And so right. you're just as willing to sacrifice the moms as you are their pre-born daughters Absolutely. on the altar of women's rights. Something tells me Absolutely. it was never about science, it was about right. power. Um, okay, so thank you for that. I just wanted to unpack that yeah. for our listeners. Just, just as yeah. a, um, a, an example of how committed ACOG is to putting ideology um, before uh, science-based medicine. And, and I, right. if there's one thing I've said on the show more than anything else in the last eight or nine months, It's that science is just a sticker that they slap over their bigotry to disguise Uh their true agenda and to keep the American polity confused because they don't understand the science. Science is a meaningless term in the lexicon of the left. Um, I don't think that means what you think it means, to quote the Princess Bride. Um, So that's an awesome story behind a plaga. I really love that. Um, One of your um, areas of expertise, Dr. Francis, uh, specifically is um, the abortion pill and now the abortion pill reversal. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, we've talked about this on this show with Dr. Brent Bowles, but um, it's been a while. And so for you guys listening to this show, you need to understand that the abortion pill is the new horizon, it already is here, of the abortion industry. It enables them to eliminate brick-and-mortar abortion centers, so you don't have to pay the lease on the buildings. You don't have to pay the staff for an abortion brick-and-mortar center. In some states, you don't have to fly an abortionist out of state to do these abortions, or across the state, because you don't have enough to do all the abortions in that state. Um, You don't have to pay the third-party vendor to come with the hazardous waste containers to dump the limbs of children uh, to take them away. Uh, You start to eliminate a lot of costs with an abortion pill. And as states are starting to pass laws against abortion at later terms, it enables them to focus the majority of their uh, services uh, in that first 10 weeks, which is when the abortion pill is taken through. So you guys, it's it's cheap to manufacture, sell at high margins. And now the push, of course, during COVID was telemedicine, mail order murder. You don't even have to show up in an in-person evaluation. You can ship it via snail mail. Um, this right. is the culture of death, if anything is. So that's the background kind of briefly on the abortion pill. We could get into REMS if you want. Um, but um, talk to us about uh, the abortion pill, uh, how it works, and specifically um, how dangerous it is for the women that the abortion industry says they care about. Let's just further discredit ACOG and these pro-abortion groups.
1: Absolutely. Well, you're right, Seth, in that this is the next frontier for the abortion industry. And it is we are going to see a massive explosion, not only in the number of pre-born lives that are lost um, because of these dangerous medications, um, which of course is our, our primary objection to abortion, but we're also going to see a massive increase in the number of women who are damaged or who die. Uh, from abortion attempts. And so we (laughs) know that in countries that actually collect data, unlike the U.S., in countries that do a good job collecting data, uh, like Finland, there's a great study out of Finland, um, great and as far as the data that they looked at, that showed that chemical abortions have a four times higher complication rate than surgical abortions. And that's under controlled circumstances. That's when it's done under medical supervision within the gestational age range that it was approved for Um, um, that sort of thing. When you start taking away those restrictions and those controls, we are only going to see those numbers increase. And, and that's what's already happening. We know that now in the US, um, a little over 50% of the documented abortions are done via via medications, via chemical abortion. And that number is likely right. much higher because as you yeah. said, you know there are so many ways in which women are obtaining these that we're not able to track. And so So yes, the big push now is not only that um, the use of these be expanded, but that the medicalization, so on the one hand, they cry that abortion is essential health care. On the other hand, they want all health care providers removed from the process. And so these pill mills have popped up online where women can just get on. I know I just spoke recently to a woman who is in her 50s who is not capable of being pregnant anymore, who was able to easily obtain them through a pill mill website, um, by lying about her age, lying about the fact that she was even pregnant. Um, and we know that, um, Women are oftentimes wrong about how far along they are in their pregnancy, or they'll have motivation to lie. You know, if they're 20 weeks and they find themselves scared, they don't know what to do, and they know, hey, I have to say that I'm 10 weeks pregnant so I can get these medications, then they're just going to lie and say that they're 10 weeks pregnant. Or you have a sex trafficker who doesn't want his trafficking victims to be pregnant because they can't make him money if they're pregnant. And so he is going to get on and he's going to order these pills and have easy access to these pills. Push them onto women. So there are just a number of things that are wrong with this. You know, even when we step back from the morality side, that morally this is wrong because you're ending a human life. But even just looking at the effects that this is going to have on women as well, it's gonna be catastrophic. And what it shows is exactly what you said, that the abortion industry and their allies, of which ACOG is a huge ally of the abortion industry, don't actually care about women's health. They only care about abortion at all costs, um, you know, all access to abortion. And this is proven by the by the fact that ACOG sued the FDA over the REMs, the restrictions that govern the use of mifepristone during the COVID that. pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Walk so. That. So, the current REMS or risk evaluation mitigation strategy are applied to Mifeprex because it's a dangerous medication, and the FDA recognized that when they approved it. And so, they put these restrictions in place to try to minimize the adverse effects and maximize the quote unquote benefit of the medication, of which there is none. But, you know, this was their attempt at, at trying to minimize those adverse effects. They are really not burdensome. In brief, I won't go into detail, but in brief, they just require that um, that you rule out an ectopic pregnancy, that a woman be seen in person and evaluated in person before she get these medications, and that she has some kind of important? follow-up set up. So that's important for two reasons. One... An ectopic pregnancy, which we know occurs in at least 2% of pregnancies in the US, and that's on the rise, is a legitimate cause of maternal mortality still in this country. Because if a a pregnancy is growing outside of the uterus where it's supposed to be, usually in the tube, once it gets to a certain size, it causes the tube to rupture and can cause life-threatening bleeding inside the woman's abdomen. I've taken care of women who were nearly dead from ectopic pregnancy, so this does happen even in this country. The problem with mifepristone in an ectopic pregnancy is one, mifepristone, the drug that is used in chemical abortions, doesn't work to end the life of a child that is that is growing outside of the uterus like it does when they're growing inside of the uterus. So one, right. it doesn't actually end her pregnancy. Um, but two, the symptoms of a chemical abortion are basically the same as the symptoms that a woman experiences when she has an ectopic pregnancy, and that's abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding. So Let's set this scenario up. A woman, this is because this is what it's being advertised as. This is needed for women that are in rural America who have no access to health care. This is their only way to access abortion. So let's run so with that scenario. What, yeah, right? Tell us
0: what would really yeah, happen.
1: Exactly. Let's run with that scenario. So here you have scared 18 year old girl who's in rural America, closest hospital with surgical services and transfusion services is two hours away. And she finds herself pregnant and she's scared. She doesn't know what to do. So she gets on one of these pill mill websites. She tells them that she's eight weeks pregnant. Maybe she actually is eight weeks pregnant. Um, and they ask her, you know, what number pregnancy is this for you? If they even do that. And she says, it's my first. Okay. So they determine she has no risk factors for an ectopic pregnancy. She says she's eight weeks. They give her the pills. They tell her, you are going to experience a lot of abdominal cramping. You're gonna have some vaginal bleeding. That's very normal. Don't go to the hospital. They'll know that you had an abortion if you go to the hospital, just stay home. Those those are very normal symptoms. She has an ectopic pregnancy. She gets the pills, she takes them. She starts having abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding and she thinks, no, they said this was normal. I just need to stay at home. They said this was what was gonna happen and in the meantime she's bleeding into her abdomen and by the time she passes out and someone finds her and drives her 2 hours to the closest hospital that has emergency she, surgical she's services scared. she's dead and this is going to repeat itself over and over and over again across this country and no one will be held to account that's that's yeah. the horrible thing and yep. and Seth I'll tell you what I what I really fear is going to happen is they have been working on this demedicalization of of abortion for a very long time and of getting it available through the mail for a very long time. What is going to happen when, because I believe Dobbs is going to overturn Roe. I really do. I don't think that they have another option to uphold that Mississippi law. Um, You know, we'll see what happens. But what is going to happen when we overturn Roe and the power goes back to the states, At the same time, then, as each state is getting to decide, and some states are going to decide that they don't want abortion in their state, so they're going to make it illegal, but women in that state are still going to be able to get medication, abortion pills online, and they're still going to be able to do that, then we're going to start seeing the death rate go up of women, and they are going to say, it's because you made abortion illegal. We told you this was (laughs) going to happen, and now women are dying.
0: And it is all
1: being orchestrated by them. And so people need to be aware of this, regardless of where you stand on the abortion issue. Um, You know, I, I would hope of course that everyone who's listening to this is opposed to abortion because it ends the life of an innocent human being and it harms women in the process. But, You know, to me, this is an issue that we should be able to agree on on both sides of the aisle, that women are being damaged and harmed by the abortion industry. And again, organizations like ACOG, who claim to represent the science, who claim to represent medicine. They just don't. When it comes to this issue, they care about politics. Yeah. They don't care about women's lives. And um, wow. and so that's why it's important that APLOG exists. We represent a second medical opinion in the courts um, and in the legislature and in the public square to ACOG to say, look, this is not the be all and end all of medical science yeah. when it comes to abortion. We're here yeah. to represent the true science and the true practice of Hippocratic medicine.
0: Yeah, wow, Dr. Francis, wow. So. So ACOG sued Louisiana for their uh, abortionists must have admitting privileges um, no, in order to.
1: They didn't. They didn't sue, but they filed an amicus brief um, in support of the abortion provider okay. in the okay, right, medical right. case in the state of Louisiana. That, okay. So yes, yes,
0: yes. Against, so were, yeah.
1: yeah, so they yeah. filed a brief against admitting privileges, saying that there was no medical basis that admitting <laughs> privileges for abortion providers were medically unnecessary. even though their other document says that direct patient handoff, which is essentially either having admitting privileges or handing the patient off to someone who does minimizes, um, bad outcomes for patients. So, but apparently that only applies to women who aren't having abortions. You know, I think (laughs) what I have said many times is that ACOG has set up this, this scenario in which they are advocating for women's health. However, If that woman is getting an abortion, then she's not entitled to excellent health care. She's only entitled to the health (laughs) care that the abortion providers will provide. So, um, you know, so apparently ACOG feels that women who are getting abortions don't deserve as good of health care as those of us who aren't. So, um, which is, you know, not representing their patients. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's right. Well said, Dr. Francis. Yeah, my and this is why I wanted to discuss that with you and for our listeners, you guys tuning in. This is why this is so important, because, listen, based off of everything Dr. Francis just said, you only have two options in how you view ACOG and the abortion industry, okay? You only have two options. Either they are just that stupid. Um, so they, they they only support abortion because, you know, they just, they, ha- they don't know the real studies and the real science, and they don't know the percentage of women who will bleed out in their dorm rooms um, because of the um, abortion pill um, and the fact that, we're not confirming gestational age, so they're taking it way past the frame, time frame it's supposed to be taken in. And they, just, they just didn't know that would happen. Uh, listen, uh, I'm, I respect these moral degenerates enough to assume that they're not that stupid. It would be very insulting for me to go with the first option, that the right. abortion industry and ACOG are, just have their heads that far up their own rectum that it's coming out their face again. Like, I want to give them enough respect to assume that they're not that stupid, which only leaves you with your second option, right? Which is that right. they know everything, and they don't care. The women just become as much of a sacrificial lamb as the pre-born babies already are. Um, so you guys, listen, come on, wake up. And if you have friends in medical school, or if you are a doctor and you're part of ACOG, consider also becoming a part of APLOG, um, and then, you know, as you find your and spine Seth, and begin and Seth to, can I mention yeah. something on yeah. that as well? Please actually, do. so,
1: um, so yes, we would we welcome um, any medical providers who take care of women who um, who practice from a pro life perspective. And you don't, if you are an ACOG member, you don't have to end that ACOG membership. However, I would encourage anyone listening who is an ACOG member to take this into consideration. In 2010, they established the American Congress of OBGYNs, which is their political action committee. When you pay your dues to ACOG, a certain percentage of your dues, I think last time I looked, it was about 3% of your dues, go to finance their political action committee and you have no option. So I, when they did that, I actually called them and said, can I only pay for the American college, just the educational portion? I don't support your political lobby. I don't want my money going to support it. And Mm -hmm. I was not given an option. So you have to support financially their political action committee. So when you are paying ACOG dues, you are supporting their political lobby, which is largely focused on expanding abortion access. And so I would just encourage, again, we have APLOG members who have left ACOG. We have APLOG members who have stayed in ACOG to keep that pro-life voice, you know, to keep being that thorn in their right. side, and and yeah. so I'm not saying that one or the other is right. I just think it's important if someone stays in right. ACOG that they are aware of that, that your dues are going to pay for that.
0: Yeah, wow, unreal. <laughs> and now with the California Future of Abortion Council, which is over 40 organizations that have teamed up <clears throat> to ensure that California becomes a sanctuary state for lynching babies in the womb, uh, one of the many, I believe, 40 five different recommendations they have for California to make it a sanctuary state, crazy. We just did an episode on this with Dr. Mark Newman. Uh, One of those is to ensure that future doctors who are being educated in California have to, have to, have to receive abortion training, not optional, because it's healthcare, follow the science. Um, And this is how committed they are to this. Um, One more point to fully discredit ACOG is just the disgusting organization that they are. According to a committee opinion from ACOG on dating pregnancies, up right. to 50% of women will be wrong about their gestational age when relying only on recall of their last menstrual period. So right. ACOG knows this. So they're, exactly. the, you, t- you put this up with, with how they live, how they act, how they um, push political ideologies and recommendations. The only takeaway that you can honestly come away with is ACOG is saying, we're okay with 50% of women potentially dying or having sepsis because they have floating dead baby pieces left in their uterus because they took the abortion pill when their baby was too big to be properly killed and flushed out by the medication abortion. Uh, And so they also become sacrificial lambs. Uh, Just disgusting. So what is the abortion reversal pill then, Dr. Francis? How does it work um, and how successful is it? Because in a second, we'll get to how the abortion industry actually says that the abortion right. reversal pill is more dangerous to mom than the abortion pill itself. But firstly, what is right. the reversal pill? I haven't covered it in some time. How does it work and how successful is it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if there if there is a silver lining in the fact that chemical abortions are on the rise, that silver lining is the fact that then if those women change their mind after taking the first of the two medications of a chemical abortion, they have the hope of, of potentially being able to save their child through abortion pill reversal. So this is an amazing protocol um, that has now been being used for close to 10 years, or right out about 10 years now actually, um, that basically utilizes basic scientific principles um, of giving the very thing that Mifeprex, the chemical abortion drug, is meant to counteract. So um, Mifeprex binds to receptors for progesterone and blocks the action of that hormone progesterone is an essential hormone in early pregnancy that it, that helps support um, the pregnancy early on before the placenta uh, takes over in, in that support and helps that baby get all the nourishment that he or she needs uh, to continue to develop. And so when the action of progesterone is blocked, that leads essentially to starvation of that developing child. And then the second medication, mesoprostol, makes her uterus contract to expel the, the baby and and placenta and things like that. Um, So abortion pill reversal just uses large doses of progesterone, uh, a hormone, natural progesterone, that has been used in the first trimester of pregnancy for decades now. Um, You know, reproductive endocrinologists, infertility specialists use it in pretty much every one of their their patients' pregnancies and has been used safely. The American Society for Reproductive Medicine clearly states that natural progesterone is safe for use in the first trimester of pregnancy. And basically you flood the woman's system with progesterone to compete with Mifeprex, um yeah. to be able to bind to those receptors. And so, again, it utilizes basic scientific principles that if you go back to, you know, your biochem class 101, you learned about some of these principles that are utilized in abortion pill reversal. And the studies wow. that we have thus far... Um, are pretty amazing. There's more than 2,500 babies that are alive today because of abortion pill reversal, that wouldn't be um, had their moms not been able to access this life-saving treatment. And um, the data that we have collected so far shows about a 70% success rate. So it's not 100%, but it's 70%. And if you compare that to when they were developing Mifeprex, And they looked at, you know, what happens in the women who take Mifeprex but then don't take the second medication. Um, The women that had ongoing viable pregnancies was only about 23%. So you -hmm. take 70% compare that to 23%. That's a pretty good success rate. And that's a lot of mamas that are saved the trauma of the regret of an abortion and a lot of babies whose lives have been saved through abortion pill reversal So it's life-saving. And, um, you know, it really shouldn't matter as a physician where you stand on the issue of abortion, right? If you're, if you're pro-choice, if you're all about giving women their options and their choices, she, why wouldn't her. you? Right, exactly. Why wouldn't you want to offer this to women who, um, who change their right. mind?
0: Because it's dangerous, Dr. Francis. Right. It's actually very dangerous, don't you know? I have a study over here that says that if a woman takes the abortion reversal pill regimen after she's already started Mifeprex or Mifepristone, Um, she's actually more likely to die and be harmed in the process. So I'm just trying to follow the science, Dr. Francis. It's not about being pro-choice or pro-life. It's just that I don't want to harm women further. Uh, What is this based on and why um, is it full of BS?
1: Yes, well, once again, our friends at ACOG have done a very good job of promoting faulty science and um, lying about the science that's actually out there. Um, So I will go over this briefly, but I do wanna make sure that I mention to your viewers that um, we go into this much more in depth on our website um, you can okay. go to aaplog.org/APR, and we've got a great video there that busts a lot of these myths. And one of yes. the myths is that oh, this Krynen study um, by notorious abortionist Mitchell Krynen, who also, oh, by the way, is a—that's right—who <laughs> also, by the way, is a paid consultant for Danco, the company that produces mifepristone. I can't imagine what sort of financial <laughs> conflict of interest that might represent. Um, uh, wow. This is the only study that the abortion industry can quote um, mm. to supposedly refute APR. But the interesting thing is it's the only one they quote. But if you actually look at the data, it actually set, shows that APR works and that it's not dangerous. But they completely flip the narrative around. So just very briefly, um, yeah. what it was is it was a, the reason it's quoted is because it was a randomized controlled trial, which, you know, if anybody looks at medical studies, you'll know that's kind of the gold standard of medical studies. And so mm-hmm. what they did was they took women who wanted to have abortions and they randomized them to two different groups. One group started the chemical abortion process and only took the mifepristone and then nothing else. They took a placebo afterwards. Um, and then the other group took mifepristone and then they took progesterone. So they were mimicking the um, abortion pill reversal regimen. What they found, they stopped the study early, supposedly because of safety concerns with abortion pill reversal. Why they actually stopped it was because their study was starting to show that medication abortions are dangerous and lead to (laughs) high hemorrhage rates, and they didn't want to confirm that, and so they stopped the study early. But when they stopped it, they had 10 women, five in each group, that were eligible for analysis. What they found was that in the group who took progesterone, Four out of five of those women, so 80%, had ongoing pregnancies two weeks later. So the progesterone worked to save their babies um, 80% of the time. The one patient who it didn't work on did present to the emergency room for heavy bleeding, but she was found to be completing her abortion. She did not require any further treatment. She didn't require a blood transfusion, nothing. She completed her abortion and she went home. So that's in the progesterone group. So you had one person that went to the ER, you had four women who had ongoing pregnancies two weeks later. In the placebo group, only two of those women, so only 40% of women had ongoing pregnancies two weeks later. Two of the other women actually went to the ER for heavy vaginal bleeding. Both had to have emergency surgeries to complete their abortions. And one of them also had to have a blood transfusion. So it had twice the complication rates if they didn't take progesterone. So this was just Mm -hmm. due to the medication abortion. Um, And both of them required emergency surgical services, which again, if a woman is two hours away from the closest hospital that has these services, she's gonna be in a world of hurt. So it showed one that APR works twice as many women in the progesterone group had ongoing pregnancies as in the placebo group. And it actually showed that medication abortions are more dangerous than taking progesterone um, to try and save your pregnancy. So it showed the exact opposite of what they claim. And this is so easy to see, like, you know, sometimes I read medical studies or or scientific studies and they're kind of hard to really pull the data out of and figure out what they actually showed. This one is not, (laughs) it's very easy to read. So any physician who is especially a practicing OB who claims that this study actually shows what Krynan says that it shows and what ACOG says that it shows is clearly lying. Yeah. Um, it's not because they don't understand the study. It's because they're they're lying about abortion power reversal. So This is the only study that ACOG hangs its hat on to say that um, APR is junk science and that it's dangerous for women and that oh. we should not be, quote unquote, experimenting on women by using abortion power reversal. And yet- Another example of how ACOG speaks out of both sides of their mouths. In their same document about medication abortion, where they say that abortion pill reversal is junk science, it doesn't, you know, there's nothing to support its use. In fact, the Kreinan study shows that it's dangerous. If you look later in that same document, under the section where they talk about providing contraception at the time of a medication abortion and whether or not you can, they specifically caution against giving Depo Provera, which is a different kind of progesterone than what's used in abortion reversal, but it is a, a cousin of natural progesterone. They specifically caution against de- giving Depo Provera at the same time because it will, and I quote, increase the risk of ongoing pregnancy. So they acknowledge <laughs> that progesterones counteract the effects of mifepristone. That's right.
0: That's um,
1: right. But right. yeah. Doctor Bolz made that point. Worse.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dr. Brent Bowles made that point a while back. I, I'd forgotten about that. Thank you for reminding our listeners of that. Yeah. So in other words, in short, uh, ACOG has previously written that, oh, but this alternative form of progesterone you shouldn't use if you're uh, if you're on contraception or pursuing an abortion because it, then it might uh, increase the likelihood of a continued pregnancy. Uh right. 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 that's That's our whole point with the safety of progesterone right. as used to counteract <laughs> the effects of mifiprax. Wow. Um, Anyway, I don't know how many times we have to rattle the minds of the American public to get them to realize, and the church, that this was never about science. Um, And that has become abundantly clear in the last 18 or 19 months. Um, Well, Heartbeat International, uh, headed up by our good friend Dr. Brent Bowles, who's the medical director over there, has launched the Abortion Pill Rescue Network. You have a new initiative at APLOG to increase the number of medical professionals Um, who provide the abortion pill reversal, uh, which I think is so important, um, Dr. Francis, because I I keynote pregnancy center banquets all around the country. um, And my mother was the director of a pregnancy center while pregnant with me in 1990, Mm -hmm. 91. So I've been a uh, a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. And I asked these pregnancy center directors, I say, what are you doing um, to prepare for abortion pill reversal? Uh And you know what most of their answers have been in the last year, year and a half? Uh, Either- uh, what's that? Or, um, uh, oh, nothing. We haven't really given that any thought. You know. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And this is, you know, this is while the FDA is dropping their REMS, um, right. the, the abortion industry is suing to get rid of it, to move to mail order abortions. I mean, this is the new horizon and we need pregnancy centers to be launching these uh, reversal networks with a right. physician who can, um, who can prescribe it. Um, and, uh, and we certainly need to have more doctors involved because it can be difficult oftentimes for pregnancy centers to even find uh, a physician to help them run their center, uh, much less to get involved with an abortion pill reversal network. So uh, share with us a little bit about that initiative um, and, and the importance of, of, of uniting and beefing up uh, these networks, particularly now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, there really is no reason, especially if you're a pro-life physician, um, for you not to be an abortion pill reversal provider. It it does not place huge demands on your time. As an APR provider myself, I I can attest to how easy they make the process, the network. So they have a nurse who staffs Um, their hotline 24/7. who does the initial intake with the patient talks to her about whether or not she's even a candidate and then talks to her about, um, you know, potential risks, the success rates, all of that. And then if the woman decides she wants to go ahead with it, then the, the network contacts a provider in her area. And then all you as the provider have to do is contact the patient, complete her counseling, The APR network even sends you her pharmacy, her pharmacy phone number, um, her insurance status, just so that you'll know if the progesterone is potentially gonna be covered under her insurance or not. Um, There are a lot of methods of helping her if it's not to try and make it affordable for her. Um, And then you just have to see her in your office within about 48 hours to do an ultrasound to confirm uh, viability of that pregnancy. And then after that, you are free to take care of her just like you would any other first trimester patient. um, and so it really does not place a huge burden on your time. And, and having delivered one successful uh, APR baby, I can tell mm-hmm. you know anyone listening that it is uh, one of the most fulfilling things that you'll do in your practice yeah. Um, yeah. to know that you get to be yeah. a part of that. And so it is. Yeah. And like you said, we're kind of setting up the perfect storm where we are going to need. There's two things that I think we need to do right now in the pro-life movement, especially within the pro-life medical community, and I would include pregnancy resource centers in that as well um, as physicians and nurse practitioners, midwives, things like that. Um, Cause there's so many things happening at once. December 16th, we expect an announcement from the FDA on what they're going to do with the REMS on Mifeprex. Um, given our current administration and who I've heard they just appointed as the head of the FDA, uh, we expect, probably on December 16th, that they're going to do away with the REMS, um, which means that these medications can be sold online. They can be sold through the mail. um, They could even potentially be available over the counter at some point in the future. And so we are going to have a lot of women that are going to have uh, more ready access to these medications. So we need two things. One, we need a lot more people providing abortion pill reversal because we know that women regret their abortions. And we know that women are gonna regret their medication abortions. And if they do that after they take that first pill, they need to be able to be connected with someone who can provide them with abortion pill reversal. So one, we need a lot more providers um, to be able to come alongside of these women and help them save their children. But the other thing that we need to do is we need to keep getting out there because we know that even if the laws of the land change, which I pray that they do, We know that hearts and minds have to change as well. And I think part of helping hearts and minds change on this is helping women to understand the dangers that they will be putting themselves at as well if they take these medications, and so we really need to get the word out there about how dangerous these medications are, about the science that shows that that preborn child is in fact a human being from the moment of fertilization, and that that mm-hmm. life is being ended, and then we need APR providers so that we can help these women be able to to save their children, and that we can you know help these children. This is an opportunity, you know, that previously in the abortion fight we haven't had until the last 10 years of of potentially being able to intervene and save these children. So, um, so, and this is the time, like I said, in the next few months, we've kind of had this perfect storm of all of these different things happening at once. And um, you know, and so we need, we need, to help change hearts and minds and we need more people to join us as APR providers. And again, if someone's listening to this and they have questions, I understand because there's a lot of misinformation out there about abortion pill reversal and the, the word needs to get out there more about the science that actually is behind it and supports it. And so again, if people go to our website, aaplog.org slash APR or slash abortion pill reversal, you can find the video explaining all of this. We have frequently asked questions and then we have a link there as well that you can use to, um to sign up to be a provider
0: good good yes if you're a medical student or if you are a doctor physician uh an ob uh please do that um uh if you don't see what's happening in the country right now i got nothing else for you guys uh the biden administration their justice department the doj dropped a lawsuit against a vermont hospital a few months ago uh, Uh who under the trump administration a doctor at that hospital had coerced a a pro-life nurse to assist with an abortion not force, because she could have walked out, but she caved. Unfortunately, she assisted with the abortion. She then sued the hospital, um, and so um, the uh, uh, civil or the civil office of conscience office rights, of civil rights, rights.
1: Mm-hmm. the
0: OCR, yeah, in the HHS um, took it up. It was one of the most clear-cut cases of conscience violations right. uh, in American history. Um, and then enter the uh, Biden administration and uh, they just dropped that lawsuit. So what are they communicating to doctors by dropping that lawsuit? That you can be or should be coerced into performing with an abortion upon threat of career termination. Um, This is what is coming down the pike. I could give other examples as well, but for pro-life doctors and those who dissent from the theocracy of secular progressivism, which is the real state religion uh, in Uh America today. Um, I want to finish with um, Dobbs and you guys on the Supreme Court steps. But um, as we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts on that, uh, Dr. Francis. W- what do you believe um, doctors and physicians and OBs need to be doing who are people of faith, um, who are pro-life? Because in my opinion, and then I want yours, um, if, if you just sign up for APLOG and that's all you do, and this is, this is not Christina saying this, I, 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 I'm saying you're failing. You don't know what time it is. You have no idea what's coming down the pike for you, your family, and your posterity, your children and your children's children. Um, and we are increasingly being treated as heretics of this alternative religion called progressivism. So um, what, what reasonably can doctors and uh, physicians and OBs do who are pro-life beyond just becoming a member at APLUG. I mean, like, we see the, the, the attacks being ramped up against people like them. Um, and I think they need to actually get, unco- get comfortable with being uncomfortable, start actually, uh, actually risking their career and their comfort to stand for truth, but to do so collectively and together. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? Because this is unprecedented.
1: You're right. And you know, you bring up a very good point. You just shared about the case of, you know, the nurse in Vermont that the DOJ dropped that that lawsuit. And many people don't realize that as medical professionals, we actually can't sue on our own behalf for conscience violations. Our only currently, our only recourse is through the Office of Civil Rights under HHS, which is currently under the leadership of Javier Becerra. So we have no yeah. one in the federal one of the government most who's defending
0: politicians. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we have have no one currently in the federal government who's defending our conscience rights. And so that's why it is so important that Applog exists and why people first of all join us. And, and I, you know, I fully recognize, so I'm very blessed. I practice in somewhat of a bubble in the state of Indiana. You know, we have very friendly conscience laws and and abortion laws and things like that. And um, but I understand that my friends and colleagues who are practicing in New York State or California are practicing in a much different environment where they legitimately will they legitimately can't list themselves publicly on our website because they will face losing their jobs if they do. Um, however. At the very least, I would say, and I agree with you, Seth, I think this is merely a starting point, not an ending point. At the yeah. very least, join us at APLOG, because we're going going—we're David going up against Goliath. Um, ACOG has 60-plus thousand members. APLOG is at about 7,000 right now. So we need numbers. And so if that's yeah. all you can do, it's still something. You're adding to our numbers, and so we can use that strength in numbers when we represent you in the courts. Um yeah. However, and the other thing that that gets you though, is it gets you this community of other physicians, other healthcare providers who know like you do that abortion isn't healthcare, that it's bad for both of our patients. And I know that so many people know that they're just afraid to speak up. And so we just, I always you know, we are a voice for the voiceless in so many ways. The ultimate voiceless are our pre-born patients um, followed sort of shortly thereafter by our born patients. But you know, the, I think the other voiceless that that we represent are the pro-life medical professionals that are practicing in really malignant environments. And maybe they can't be their own voice, Um, but we can be that voice for you. And um, you know, my hope would be that eventually we can give you the scientific evidence and the data and the courage that you need to then continue to be a voice, you know, publicly. But even if you can't, but I would agree with you. I think joining APLOG is a starting point. It's not an ending point. Um, We have a lot of ways for people to get involved. And again, we're doing this because we care about the profession of medicine. We see the pro-death um, push in the practice of medicine, both at the beginning yeah. and at the end of life. And, yeah. um, and you know, we stand against that. And, and just to segue into the Dobbs case, it became so clear to me how much people within the medical profession are getting fed up with this pro-abortion, pro-death push within the field of medicine. So we, yeah. APLOG, led a medical coalition Of several organizations um, to support the state of Mississippi uh, in the Dobbs case. So we submitted an amicus brief, but we also said at the rally, the day of oral arguments, we want to show up as medical professionals. We want to show up in our white coats. We want to make a visual statement to the world that doctors don't support abortion, that it's not healthcare. And so, you know, we set out a goal of about 40. If we could get 40 people there, that would be great. And, you know, to be honest with you, I was kind of uh, doubtful about that. I thought, you know, maybe we'll get 15 or 20. That would be great. We had 80 people show up on a Wednesday. They left their practices. We had people from all over the country, Washington State, California, Texas, all over the country that came and joined us in front of the court that day. And to me, that overwhelming response was just so indicative of people saying, we are fed up with this happening in the practice of medicine. And people need to understand that as physicians, we assert that abortion is not healthcare. It's not good for either of our patients. We want dignity for all of our patients, our born patients and our pre-born patients alike. And I can tell you, it was amazing to be in front of the court with that many people. We got so many thank yous from people well, there have never been that many medical professionals show up for a pro-life case at the Supreme court ever is the first time in history that we've had that many physicians there. Wow. Um, they made a That's tunnel so for true. all the speakers at the rally to walk through. So all the speakers got to be encouraged by physicians wow. being there. Um, it just was really amazing. And, um, you know, we ruffled some feathers. Um, the associated press published a picture of our group of physicians in front of the court. Um, but the cat, which was great. Except for that, their caption said anti abortion protesters. Okay, that's fine. I can be called an anti abortion protester because I am anti abortion. <laughs> Dressed in medical uniforms.
0: <laughs> like we were actors
1: play acting that we were physicians. And so we wow. demanded a correction and they, they did correct it actually after okay, about three yeah. days okay. demanding corrections. But, but I think that for so many people, they couldn't believe that actual physicians were yep. showing up to oppose abortion. Um, and so that just showed me the impact that we as physicians can have if we just show up. And so I just yeah. use that as an encouragement wow. To anybody who's listening to medical students and residents, I know how much pressure you're under. Um, Your careers are on the line and we get that, but you do have legal rights and you do have support from APLOG and from our allied organizations. And so I just would encourage anybody who's listening who is a a pro-life medical professional to join us because you have the support um, that you need. Uh, We're there to support you. And again, we can be your voice. If you are in a situation where you can't speak publicly, we can be your voice for you. Um, So please join us. If you're not a medical professional, but you have a physician who you know is friendly to the cause, please tell them about APLOG and how important it is for them to join us.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Uh, Nothing would make me happier (laughs) than in the near future to see the American associations of pro-life OGs to have more membership than ACOG. Uh, That'd be to amazing. just publicly discredit <laughs> them for the absolute uh, pro-abortion hacks and molex serviles that they are. Uh, so maybe Dr. Christina Francis won't tell you guys to abandon ACOG and join APLOG, um, but rather just do both. I will tell you to abandon ACOG and join APLOG. Uh, let's flip the numbers and make sure that, that um, when we see those numbers, no one can say, oh, well, a lot of those doctors are, 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 are with both. Uh, no, 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 those are all unique members only of APLOG, not of you ACOG, you, you science bigots, you abusers of science, you people who crap on the Hippocratic Oath um, and defend the greatest genocide in human history. Um, Nothing would be cooler than that uh, because that's a headline that the mainstream media couldn't ignore. Uh, Pro-life OG network, uh, OB network with larger membership than ACOG, Um, that would be really cool. So, um, and listen, you know, I I get it too. Some of your jobs may be on the line if you're a doctor, a physician or a provider, but you know what? So are a lot of people's jobs right now who don't want Uh to be a, a test bunny or a test rat For an experimental vaccine that was produced unlike any other vaccine where it edits your your, uh, DNA um, and that was used developed with the use of aborted cell lines, people are being fired um, who don't want to take. A lot of people have their jobs on the line right now, Um, but nothing is more contagious than courage Um, and standing together um, causes others to do the same. And if we can't do that against abortion, uh, what can we do it against? Um, so at the very least, though, of course, guys, go, go become a member at APLOG if you're a provider or um, if you're a patient, go tell your provider. Go ask them. Go, I want Absolutely. you to go ask them. Do you um, perform or refer for abortions? And if, if, if it's yes to either of those questions, find a new doctor. Um, write them a review so everyone knows that they kill babies or refer for it and make sure that none of your friends see that doctor. Um, and we as the people need to begin asserting our political will in the public square once again to make that shift culturally. So uh, Dr. Christina, uh, beyond APLOG, where can people um, connect with you to learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, they can follow me on Facebook at Dr. Francis for Life um, or again on our website at aaplog.org or also my email is uh, Christina at aplog.org and people are certainly welcome to reach out that way as well
0: and you're a speaker too right you have a website people can book you
1: i I am a speaker yeah at aplog we offer um many of our board members have expertise on different issues and so we're always happy to come and speak to groups that are interested in discussing um sort of the medical and scientific side of the pro-life movement so yeah very happy to do that so please reach out if anybody would like to schedule one of us to come and speak
0: Yeah, yes, any one of you guys would be a wonderful contribution to a school, um, high schools, homeschool groups, colleges, Christian colleges who need to find their spine once again. Um, Anyone from APLOG, including, of course, the chairman of the board, uh, Dr. Christina Francis, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me, Seth.
0: Yeah, we'll see you soon. Thank you guys for joining the show today. I hope you enjoyed that. That was packed full of content facts, uh, which, as our friend, of course, Ben Shapiro says, don't care about your feelings. And our politics are being run increasingly by feelings and not facts, by people who put ideology before science-based medicine, which means they put ideology before people, <laughs> the pre-born people that they murder and their parents and certainly their mothers. Um, if uh, this hasn't disturbed and shaken you, I've got nothing else for you. Uh, you are dead inside and I will pray for you. Um, But I know that you guys who listen to this show, you're moved, you're infuriated by what you see. Uh, We wanna encourage you and equip you to stand in this moment. Um, So send this to your doctor, to your friends who are doctors, are about to become doctors, and if you are a doctor, uh, join plug. and I'd love to see a little shift in those numbers uh, here soon as well. Thank you guys for tuning in today. If you want to engage with me online, head on over to Facebook, Instagram, or my website, SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby r.com to sign up for my newsletter to see my speaking schedule which is filling up quickly for 2022, or to book me for an event um, soon. Uh, If you enjoy the show, leave us a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. We're quickly becoming one of the largest pro-life podcasts in the world, and uh, we want more people to see the show show up on the ratings um, as they're seeking for truth and facts. Uh, Do that for us. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.